0: Today, we're going to look at the growing awareness of air pollution in your city and everywhere else and its relationship to climate change.
1: Hello and welcome to Outrage and Optimism. My name's Tom Ravik-Karnak.
0: I'm Cristiana Figueres.
1: And I'm Paul Dickinson. Today... We ask why the world has been so slow to wake up to the public health epidemic that is air pollution. We look at how the issue of air pollution can change the politics around climate change. And we talk to Dr. Arvind Kumar, distinguished pulmonary surgeon for 30 years in New Delhi, who has seen firsthand the impacts of what we're doing to the planet and what it does to the human lungs. Thanks for being here. So today we're going to talk about air pollution and we seem to be approaching a moment of collective awakening on air pollution as the world appears to be realizing the enormity of the impact on human health and it is not a moment too soon this year as last year 7 million people will die prematurely because of air pollution and that is three times the number of people who die each year from aids tuberculosis and malaria combined 600,000 of those affected their children, the vast majority of them under the age of five, and this equates to a young child dying of an illness caused by air pollution every single minute. Nine out of ten people on earth are at risk of, of asthma, cancer, heart disease, strokes, dementia, cognitive dysfunction, simply by breathing. Now we know exactly what's causing this, of course. Apart from a relatively smaller proportion, although significant in some parts of the world caused by burning crops, it's the combustion of fossil fuels for the creation of electricity and transportation that is creating this heartbreaking human tragedy. So we'll get into some of the stories about what's happening, particularly when we speak to Dr. Kumar, who has just a remarkable story to tell. But I want to start by asking something that's confused me since I started learning about air pollution, and that is... How have we allowed this to go on for so long? Air pollution is not new, and the story of polluted air and the impact of human health goes back hundreds of years to the Industrial Revolution. But somehow we've allowed ourselves to become normalised to it. Most of us aren't aware of the impact it has on us on a daily basis. And apart from a few places around the world, it has not yet precipitated the sense of outrage that it logically should precipitate. So the first question I'd like us to dig into is, why not?
0: Can I just um, suggest... I think the reason why we have grown so accustomed is that the urbanization that we have now has grown at the same time and on the back of industrialization. So while, for example, in the last century, we had grown accustomed to having our waterways and our rivers that flowed through, uh, through cities be open sewers. And we had a, we thought that the stink and the smell of sewers was normal to cities. Well, we fixed that one, but then now we're treating our air as an open sewer. And now we just assume that having air pollution in the air is just totally normal part of city life. And the fact that you don't See it, the fact that it is there, that you cannot avoid it, you cannot avoid breathing much as you might want to. It is ever present, it is ubiquitous, it is everywhere, but you can't see it. And it has become a part of normal city life. We have not come to the conclusion, we have not come to the realization that this is not a part of normal city life, that we have alternatives to fossil fuel generation that produces these particulates. We have alternatives to liquid fossil fuels that go into our vehicles. And we should not be polluting the air and killing unborn children, killing children that are living. We have alternatives now. So we should not be tolerating this anymore.
2: Well, Christiana, I mean, I couldn't agree more. And I think that you, you hit the nail on the head when you say it's been this kind of build-up. You know, we've had this m- massive, rapid increase in in car usage worldwide. And then we've also had a huge increase in uh, electricity production and consumption. The, the, the key point I would make is that, you know, we've, we, we have... Ha- we evolve as societies. You know, we used to have uh, discrimination. I mean, we still have racial discrimination. It's very unpleasant. But in most countries, there are laws against racial discrimination. You're not allowed to discriminate against people on, on their race. And yet, in many regards, air pollution is discriminating against children because they are, they're exposed to something that, that, that the previous generation wasn't. And that, that's completely unacceptable. And, and when you, you hear these statistics, clearly it's obviously time for us to act
1: yeah and it's actually not even just discrimination against children although you're absolutely right about that i think the other thing is the coal lobby if you think about it over years has kind of sustained itself on life support with this narrative that coal is needed for poor for 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 poorer people for development in emerging economies um without mentioning, of course, the fact that exactly what they were doing might provide some electricity at a low cost, although these days renewables are cheaper in many cases. It was also poisoning their lungs and killing their children, which is also a form of discrimination. Um, I think the other thing which I would point to, if we look back over kind of what changed over recent years, I think that the, the emission scandal from Volkswagen focused people's minds on really what are these cars belching out of their exhaust pipes in a way that maybe they hadn't thought about before.
0: And, you know, in China, if you live in China, you are statistically... Predicted to live three years less than if you live somewhere else just because of air pollution, and in New Delhi, six years less. So it is actually interesting that it is precisely in China and in India where the governments are actually beginning to take some measures against air pollution, closing down coal plants, moving over to electric vehicles. Um, A lot of it has to do with social pressure. have been astonished to see social pressure, people on the streets, in China, in China, demonstrating and demanding that they have a right to breathe clean air. Mm-hmm. I think it is fantastic. I think you know, mo- more of us should be on the streets in total outrage about the fact that we have this pollution in the air, that we cannot avoid it, and that it is killing children and adults.
2: Yeah. And I mean, the, the very moving uh, story of uh, the the uh, attempt to uh, classify the, the loss of the child Ella by uh, Rosamund Kissy Deborah uh, in, in the courts, uh, emphasizing that her life was lost uh, because of air pollution. Uh, the, the Royal Court of Justice has sort of finally agreed to open a second interquest into Ella's death based upon evidence. Uh, you know, we're, we're at a point now where we, we, we have to accept it's not enough. People will talk Talk about, you know, uh, the, the poor need uh, energy to develop. But actually, there's considerable, very considerable wealth in the world. And the problem is really inequity in wealth rather than uh, we need dirty fuel for some kind of development. That's just not the case.
1: Yeah, and the point you make there, Paul, is about London, right? So anybody who's listening to this who thinks this is a problem predominantly in cities in Asia or in other parts of the world that 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 um, that maybe they don't live in, um, you know, it's completely not the case. And actually, there's an increasing realization in London and Paris and New York and elsewhere that that the health impacts there can be deadly, as you illustrated with that 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 tragic example with Ella. Um, to just just to go into some of the the intersections here and some of the implications i mean we had ben rhodes on last week who who said to us that you know from his experience of working with with modi and with xi that um it was domestic political pressure largely on air pollution that brought them to the table in the lead up to paris so um i think one other interesting question um that we can ask ourselves is what does it do to the climate change discussion when we talk about air pollution instead or as well um i know that smart politicians have understand this I, I remember when Barack Obama came out with his clean power plan in 2013 um, on the conference call where he presented that he had himself hosted by the president of the American Lung Association, you know, he really understood that it touches people in a different way. So, I mean, Christiana, what do you think? Does it open new political space when we talk about air pollution rather than climate change directly?
0: Well, definitely has opened new space in China. It should be opening up new space everywhere, um, because there is a very serious coincidence or overlap there. So, you know, to understand the relationship between air pollution and climate, we have to understand that um, both climate and um, and uh, air pollution have other sources, but mostly. Mostly, it is the burning of fossil fuel that causes the CO2 emissions that go into the atmosphere, That cause climate change, and it is the local pollutants from the burning of coal for energy generation and the burning of liquid fossil fuels in our vehicles that cause these local pollutants, particulates that um, are responsible for air pollution. So it is two different things. One is planetary health, the other one is local human health, but they stem largely from the use and the burning of fossil fuels. So understanding that there is this overlap, getting to air pollution as a um, as a source of disease, of um, of death in many in many uh, cases, of lack of growth in uh, IQ. So many different, and every day I see another article of how many different organs are actually affected by air pollution. So it is actually easier to understand that, right? Because it is much more direct. It has to do with me. It has to do with my family. It has to do with my children. This is absolutely immediate. That sense of immediacy is not there with climate change. And so it is very helpful to bring these two things together so that we can accelerate the move beyond fossil fuels
2: yeah and you know we worry about the, the, the climate warming but it seems remote or whatever but what about the right to life you know if, if you look at the declaration of independence it says we held these truths to be self-evident that all people are created equal and they have a right to life and recognising that that makes me very optimistic that we can make a policy breakthrough far faster than we ever thought possible.
1: That's a great point Paul and I think this, this whole movement now to look at clean air as a human right is, is, is fundamental to this um, so that actually you know what could be more fundamental as a human right than clean air and the ability to breathe without it killing you and i think nobody knows more about both the 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 um the actual human impacts of that and the effect that that can have on policy than Dr. Arvind Kumar. So Dr. Kumar has been a pulmonary surgeon operating on patients in New Delhi for more than thirty years. Um, he's seen lungs of, of thousands of people, and um, you know I'm sure he'll tell his story when we speak to him. But it was it was the prevalence of black lungs in people who had never smoked that made him realise that he had something else he had to do in his life rather than surgery, um, as important as that is. And I, although he still does that, he spends an increasing amount of his time now campaigning for policy change, working with a group he created called Doctors for Clean Air. Um, So um, I think he just has the most remarkable story to tell. So, So let's talk to him. Let's talk to him. Sounds good. So, Dr. Kumar, thank you so much for taking the time to speak to us today on Outrage and Optimism, Every week we take different issues and dig into where we are with them and what can be done to improve the situation, particularly around climate change, but also other issues. And this week we're digging in, in into the issue of air pollution. Now, you have been a leader in this space for such a long time and have done remarkable work. So we're really delighted to talk to you about... Uh, your journey, how you got to this place and sort of where we can go next and what the options for improving are. So thanks for being here. And I'll I'll hand over to Christiana to ask the first question and then we'll just dive in.
0: Well, I think Tom has implicitly already (laughs) asked the the first question, which is, Dr. Kumar, you are actually a pulmonary surgeon. That is where you started your journey here. But we would love to hear your story of how you went from being a pulmonary surgeon surgeon in the operating room to now actually being uh, probably the front runner in with regards to air quality policy in India. How, how was that journey?
3: Uh, well uh, this journey goes back about uh, two decades or rather three decades actually. It was 1988 when I started operating on lungs and that time I was at my previous hospital All India Institute of Medical Sciences and that time I used to operate on smokers as well as non-smokers and mostly we would be seeing uh, pink or almost pink lungs in non-smokers. The smokers obviously would have uh, blackish spots on their lungs. But over the years I noticed that gradually I was seeing more and more black deposits on the lungs of the people and my turning point came around 2014 when I was at my present hospital which mainly drains uh, uh, its uh, its patients from the city of New Delhi and surrounding areas wherein I started seeing most of the people, non-smokers as well as smokers, having black spots on their lungs and actually the turning point was when I saw a few teenagers having black deposits on their lungs and I thought to myself, oh my God, there is a silent kind of a bad revolution occurring inside the body of people of my city, my country. Unfortunately, no one can peep inside his chest and know what's happening. So it's, a, it's something which is causing them disease. It's making them disabled. It's ultimately going to cost them their life, but they are not aware. And since God has given us a lot of extra capacity in the lungs, so it's not until very late in the day that you start having symptoms. Hmm. So that was actually the turning point when I thought that this information needs to be shared with people. And what was the option? The option was for me to record some of those images, come out of my OR into public space and start sharing with, with people, look friends, This is what is happening inside you. If teenagers are having black deposits on their lungs, what's going to happen to them by the time they grow up to 30s and 40s? In fact, some of them may never grow to that age. So that was the turning point which converted me into a crusader to tell people about the ghastly ill effects air pollution was having on the lungs and I must admit that at that time I was not so deep into this problem so my initial impression was that it only is causing problems on the lungs but when I got into this topic and I started reading researching I was astonished and shocked that no it affects every organ in the body and the more I read about it the more I learned about it More was my conviction that I now need to devote more and more of my time on this issue. And my calculation was very simple that I was about 56 at that time. So I had about maybe 15 years of active life. I operate about 600 cases a year. If I continue to spend my time inside OR, 15 into 600, about 9,000 people I can help. But if I come out and share this information and on the basis of that, even a small percentage improvement in air pollution, air quality, if I can cause, that would have helped millions and millions of people. So I took a decision that I need to spend more and more time outside with these images in my hand Mm. than inside.
0: Dr. Kumar, so we definitely want to uh, get a little bit further into your venture now into pushing policy but before we do that could you just give us a little bit more information a little bit more granularity on the consequences of air pollution what does it do to lungs what does it do to stunting growth what does it do to iq what are the overall impacts of air pollution especially on children
3: well Krishna, the answer is I don't think there is any causative disease causing agent known to mankind which damages as many organs at a time as air pollution does. You take any chemical, you take any infection, virus, bacteria, fungus, none of them causes as extensive damage to the body as the single agent cause called air pollution does. Lungs are always the most talked about because they are the port of entry. So starting from stunted development of lung capacity in children who are exposed to levels, high levels of air pollution right from their birth to causing higher incidence of asthma in children to COPD in adults and also asthma in adults to the most dreaded lung cancer, which I'm now seeing in people in thirties, non-smokers in increasing number, which now I'm seeing in women, non-smoking women, wives of non-smoking husbands, more and more. These are all lung side effects, but that's not the end of the story. Unfortunately, the chemicals and particles enter the bloodstream, go to every part of the body. In children, we are seeing higher incidence of pneumonias, higher incidence of childhood cancers. It's one of the commonest causes of death in children under five years of age who are actually exposed to high levels of pollution causing pneumonia. It has been proved that children who are exposed to air pollution from early childhood have their IQ development uh, influenced adversely, which means they are much lower IQ than they would have been if they were not exposed to pollution. So on one hand, we have stunted lung development. Side by side, we have stunted IQ development. Other than that, it causes hyperactivity disorder in children. So a lot of schools who are reporting that the children are very naughty, actually they are not naughty. Hmm. They are suffering from ill effects of air pollution.
0: So I, I would conclude, Dr. Kumar, that air pollution is probably the least recognized and yet the most powerful threat of our health, especially children's health.
3: Absolutely. So having
0: having understood that and seeing all of the evidences for that, I was with you in December in New Delhi when you called the medical profession together in India to begin to take all of this medical information to the policy arena. Can you tell us where, where you are with that?
3: yes so we along with you we launched this doctors for clean air and the reason behind that was that my experience has been that between a scientist a researcher an environmentalist versus a doctor talking to people or policy about pollution i think the doctors are in the best position one because we see the ill effects of air pollution and we have an emotional connect because we are seeing the effects every day, just like uh, seeing the effects has brought me out of OR. So a large number of doctors are seeing that's number one. Number two, we are talking to our patients and also the policymakers from a relative position of strength because uh, we occupy a different kind of a status in the society. So when we stand up and talk about the medical side, medical ill effects of air pollution, I think our voice will be far more powerful. So I strongly believe that doctors all across the world should rise to the occasion and raise their voice all across the world about the danger that air pollution and climate change pose to the human race. It's not just about disease, disability, or the deaths. It's about danger to our race. If we don't contain it today, our race is in danger tomorrow.
1: Dr. Kumar, thank you. And I, I think that's very interesting about the role that medical professionals can play. And I think that's been a missing piece for a while on, on climate and now clean air. And it's great that that's getting filled in in India and elsewhere. I have a just a slightly different question, which is, as I understand it, there are over 1.2 million people in India that lose their lives every year to air pollution and 7 million around the world. Um, yeah. But it doesn't seem to have led to widespread public outrage about this situation yes. of what it's doing to our bodies, what it's doing to our children until recently. Yeah. And I think that my sense is that, and I'm interested to know if you think this is true, that's beginning to change now. So, so, two questions. Why did it take so long? And why is it picking up speed now? Uh, The reason why it took so long was that these
3: figures were mostly hidden in the reports, Hmm. which were mostly kept in the ministries and in the offices of various big, big organizations. They never percolated down to the last man in the street or the village. And the reason why it's beginning to be heard now is because there is so much of media outcry. There is so much being written. But I must correct you that when you say that this news is now reaching the villages, it's not correct. I Mm. see patients every day in the OPD and allow me to say that even today, despite so much of media outcry, the knowledge about air pollution as a damage, as a danger to our health, is even today abysmally low. Leave aside normal population, I am talking to doctors and I'm amazed at the low level of knowledge they have about air pollution. So to me, the first task is to reach out these figures to every person in the country, awaken them, arouse them, then only they will get agitated about it. They will be outraged about it. The word Christiana always uses is outrage. Yes, outrage is needed, but outrage is not happening because the information is still is not conveyed to them in as serious a manner as it needs to be. And to me, in Doctors for Clean Air, the first task is to inform everybody about the magnitude of the problem and the next step would be to tell them that if you don't take corrective measures today, your tomorrow is doomed.
0: Let's talk about those corrective measures, because one thing that strikes me about the complexity of uh, of air pollution is that there's no way that an individual person or an individual family can do anything about this. There's no vaccine against uh, air pollution in children's lungs. This actually calls for a systemic uh, and a policy measures that change, because all of this air pollution, let's remember, is coming either from the burning of fossil fuels in generation plants or from the tailpipes of vehicles or from crop burning or, in fact, from local particulates and and dust in the streets. Um, Where do you see this going? Well,
3: I partly agree with you as well as partly disagree with you. Wonderful. Partly agree with the part that, yes, it needs major policy changes which can, this, which are decisions which only governments can take. But the part which I disagree with it, it's not just the government which needs to take those changes or make those changes. It is the people who can, who are in a position to make the government take those decisions. Public has to force the government that we are going to vote for you if you promise our cleaner air. The government will then be more than willing to take those tough measures by this thing. I may just quote what one of the Swedish ambassadors in India told recently that none of the European Union ministers has the courage to take any major rec- decision about this issue because if they do so, they know that they will not
1: get reelected. Interesting. Um Dr Kumar that's that's and I think you're absolutely right that that the power of that outrage is really what needs to be driving politicians to being more ambitious and you're absolutely right that begins with a real insight into the implications and and some of the statistics you've quoted are are heartbreaking the one i heard the other day was that 25% of children in new delhi schools now now have asthma which is amazing What would you say to others who live in other parts of the world who may feel this doesn't relate to them? Do you think this is not a problem in other cities or do you think this is a global problem?
3: No, no, no. It's a global problem. The only difference between one country and another could be the severity of the problem. So we may be having a very, very, very bad air. Some other country may be having very, very bad air. The another one may be having a very bad air. Somebody may be having a bad <laughs> ear. I don't think there is any How country. How many varies? <laughs> in India, you can go on speaking for several minutes and the varies will still be fewer. <laughs> <laughs> oh my you are actually very right. <laughs> yes. Yes. So I don't think there is any country anywhere in the world which does not have the problem of air pollution. The difference is only... Severity. So, I think it's a global problem. I think the whole world community should pay attention to it and they should realize that whether it is very bad or bad or very, very, very bad, it's not material. What is important is that it's a serious threat to the very existence and future of the mankind and it is incumbent upon the present generation to take measures so that we leave cleaner air for our next generation.
1: Hmm. Dr. Kumar, thank you so much for taking the time to speak to us. I think the, the the way in which you've been able to raise the prominence of this issue in India and around the world via the World Health Organization and other groups has been really remarkable. I mean, I think it's amazing that it's gone on so long without people realizing what's happening to their bodies and to their children. And it's such urgent work. And, and the, the bringing together of this with the climate issue is also interesting. This is, this is something that's affecting our lives here today. And it's also, of course, exacerbating a much more challenging future with the relationship with climate change. So thank you so much for taking the time and good luck in all the work. If there's anything we can do to help you, anytime. Well Tom and Christiana it's always a pleasure talking to both
3: of you and every time I listen to you guys my determination to continue to work in this field becomes more and more and I repeat Christiana that I'm working towards a day when there will be a public outrage in India. And I'll give you a call that day. Well, (laughs) Christiana, do you remember 4th December? Wonderful. (laughs) Outrage. Outrage.
0: Outrage. Well, absolutely, absolutely uh, correct, Dr. Kumar. Thank you very much. And and rest assured that we're working toward global outrage on air quality and on all of the other uh, very, very damaging and threatening aspects of of climate change and health. So human health as well as planetary health. Thank you very much for being such a staunch soldier in this, uh, Dr. Kumar. And uh, we will always uh, be in touch with you and uh, keep keep you uh, on the narrow and please you keep us on the narrow path to continue uh, until we actually can, uh, can bend the curve here. Thank you very much. Thank you.
1: Bye. So that was a remarkable conversation, I think, with Dr Kumar in terms of both the implications as well as the, you know, the health implications as well as what it's doing to policy and politics in India and around the world. Um, what do you, what do you guys take from that, Christiana? What are your, what are your conclusions?
0: Honestly, I, you know, I'm actually very pained, Tom, because. Um, as, as we had said at the very beginning, how is it possible that we have this threat seriously facing us every single day, completely unavoidable by any human being, and yet we're not doing enough about it? So it is time. It is time to take to the streets. It's time to be outraged by this.
2: Yeah, that's exactly right, uh, Christiana, I think. And uh, I just want to really admire Dr. Kumar for going to tackle the root of the problem. That's what really matters. You know, you, you can't just live with the symptoms. You've got to go to the root of the problem and change it. And uh, that's
1: great leadership that you can, we can all admire. You kind of can't unsee it. Right, I mean, the, all these sort of heartbreaking impacts that it has on children around the world, the devastating effect on human health. I sort of find now as I'm walking around cities with my kids or something, you know, and you look at cars spewing out these toxic emissions and I find it sort of has given me slightly new eyes in looking at at that and what's happening. And I think once you've gone through that door, you kind of can't go back. So mm. I think the more that people begin to realize what is happening, what's around them, yes, it's invisible, but it's also deadly. I think that is the key through which we can actually get to the sense of outrage that you've described, Christiana, and through that to political transformation. So thanks very much for listening to this episode of Outrage and Optimism. We put out an episode every week. Last week we had Ben Rhodes. And um, thank you so much for dialing in. We're really enjoying putting these together. I should just mention at the end of this one, this episode has largely been created as a result of our partnership with Every Breath Matters, which is being led by Callum Grieve, who are responsible for so much in terms of raising the awareness of air pollution around the world. Um, check them out, they're doing fantastic work and they provided a lot of the intelligence and support for us to produce this episode. So it just remains for me to say that Outrage and Optimism is a production of Global Optimism. The co-hosts are Christiana Figueres, Paul Dickinson, and me, Tom rivett Carnac. I'd like to thank everyone who made this happen. Pete Clutton-Brock, Clay Carnill, Chloe Revel, Natasha rivit Carnac, Alexandra Vargas-Morera, Sarah Thomas, Marina Mancilla, Callum Grieve, and Zoe cholak I'd also like to thank Michael Northrup from Rockefeller Brothers Fund, and Nigel Topping from We Mean Business. You can connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and please do subscribe and leave us a rating. Next week, we'll be joined by David Miliband. As the former Secretary of State for both Environment and Foreign Affairs for the UK, and subsequently and currently the CEO of the International Rescue Committee, David has a unique perspective on the refugee crisis and how it is being exacerbated by climate change, and what the solutions are. Join us for that conversation next Friday. We'll see you then.